Welcome to PhD of Us Podcast. We're a podcast about academia, culture, and social justice across the STEM humanities divide. And I'm Dr. Zainiao, representing the humanities, introducing you to the second part of our interview with Professor Carissa Chia, uh, talking about self-care and care for others during COVID-19. Hope you enjoy. Um, do you have any advice for families currently um, about how to manage stress? So I'm sure that people are... they're at home, they're talking with their families, they're thinking about how to talk or what to say. What advice would you have for them right now as they're dealing with this current day-to-day existence? Yeah, it's it's a very stressful time for everyone um, and there's a lot of disruption to to schedules and we know, broadly speaking, that um, children thrive on schedules. I think that's, you know, sort of safe to say and, um, and on structure more. Um, specifically, and for all of us, you know, many of for many of us are our lives have no structure these days, and so I think that for for families to start off at a broader level to try to give children some structure, some expectations, um, so that they can feel as if they have some control over some small aspect of their life. You know, even just knowing what my day will generally be like, you know, um, is helpful for children. Right. So this loss of control and particularly at, at the time where parents are so stressed to get, you know, their basic, the basic things done, um, they might be more inclined to, to be um, what we would call more controlling in a sense. Okay, now we need to do this without mm-hmm. you know, input from children. And that can really, you know, have an impact on children in terms of their sense of control over their little lives, right? And, um, and, and so that's one, you know, sort of major advice that I would give to families is try to have some structure and to give children a sense of control over things that are obviously developmentally appropriate, right? But any little thing, you know, give them choice when they when they can have choices, and you know, have them let them have some say in some aspect of their life, and that will you know sort of really go a long way to alleviating perhaps some you know like we, we might see like restlessness or hyper you know, hi, uh, hyperactivity just because you know like they they. Um, again, like just the sense of lack of control or maybe acting out, right? Because they want to have some impact on their world. Um, And then the other thing is really um, communication. You know, so you brought this up early on, like this need to communicate and thinking about, you know, parents and children and um, probably the lines of communication, even though you're spending way more time together than you might normally, (laughs) you know, with, with homeschooling, everyone's around. But that doesn't necessarily mean that your lines of communication are as open as they used to be, right? And so you, mm-hmm. you have people little, are telling people leave the room. I can't talk to you now. I'm right. on the Zoom. If I'm on the call, if I'm talking, don't enter the room. Yeah, that's what I've been hearing people say a lot. Right, exactly. And so making sure that you have some, you know, that you're keeping the communication lines open. And, and children take a lot of um, messages or input a lot of messages about stress and anxieties and fears, you know, from their parents, right, from the adults around them. And so just, you know, on the one hand, so directly, you know, parents control the amount, should be controlling to some extent, the amount of information that children are receiving about the pandemic, right? So making sure that they're not absorbing, um, you know, kind of this anxiety provoking information beyond the level that they can handle. Um, and so you do want to give children information, again, so that they feel some sense of control, but not so much that they feel that it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um 
And so depending on the age of your child, you know, depending on, again, their level of sort of, you know, ability to process and understanding, understand the information, um, you know, parents should be managing that. And then at the same time, indirectly making sure that their own fears and stressors aren't and, um, and anxieties aren't being just, um, you know, sort of modeled or, you know, it's exposed and children are getting this sense of um, unease from their families. And I know that's just putting on more responsibility and perhaps more stress <laughs> on families as they now, oh my gosh, how, you know, these are the other ways in which, you know, I'm affecting my my child. But I think the most important thing is to keep the lines of communication open, you know, um, making sure that, you know, if children want to talk about things that they're, that parents are you know, available. And then also, I think that everyone just needs to be kinder to themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, so much. And (sighs) as parents as well, you're not going to be able to homeschool and do your work, Mm -hmm. right? Or keep the house as clean as you would like to on a normal basis. And everyone just needs to lower their standards and be with each other. Because, you know, if you think about it, right, when we're looking back, what are the things that we're going to remember? Yeah, that that's so true. And actually, if I can also ask you another question, because it's not every day that you get to talk to a psychologist, <laughs> to a professor. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I hear a lot about my, um, so I am single and childless and petless. Mm-hmm. And so, same here. And Woo. so, and so Zion, signs also the same. And so it's kind of interesting um, to, you know, kind of be, um, socially aware of all of my coupled friends and my friends of children who talk about the stressors of having to manage all of that. Um, and so I think there's another side of it that, well, like when you're all alone, like it's not always easy at mm-hmm. all. And I, and I haven't quite put my finger on why some of it's harder because I still do socialize, but there's this lack of touch. And I'm curious if you know anything about... <laughs> you know, what are the, some of the things that people who are alone and kind of are, were alone before, but are now alone in a, in a more visceral sense in the time of quarantine? Right. Yeah, that's um, the, the field of, so there's this, you know, sort of newer burgeoning feel about this idea of um, isolation, even before, you know, COVID-19, mm-hmm. um, with regard to the move towards, you know, more online means of communicating um, and what impacts that might have on social um, interactions, on interpersonal relationships, you know, friendships. And um, we, we don't have, as a field, we don't have an answer yet. And so, you know, there's some conclude it's beneficial. So this is outside of COVID-19, but it's yeah. important to understand that, you know, before and then now during this context. Um, but, you know, so it's helpful for some people, you know, who in um, their daily lives don't either because of, um, you know, um, extreme shyness or mm-hmm. um, because of circum- they don't have, you know, positive social relationships um, around them that they reach out online, that that's absolutely better and has been, you know, a really good um, outlet and mechanism um, for individuals who might otherwise be really isolated to, to reach out and get support that way. There's also, um, you know, some parts of the, the research that has shown that it is potentially, you know, also detrimental for individuals if that 
then becomes their only means, right? If that somehow then further isolates you Mm -hmm. um, from others, right? Because you have this easier online means of being able to, you know, connect with others where sometimes you don't have to be yourself. And so it can be helpful to not be yourself sometimes, but (laughs) if that persona sort of takes over and you feel then that reinforces this idea that you can't be yourself because no one will like your true self, Mm. that you can see, you know, can also have some, negative impacts on individuals. And so now if we move this, you know, broad understanding to COVID-19, I think a major aspect goes back to what I was saying uh, with children as well, this lack of control, right? So, you know, for, for a large group of people, perhaps, you know, like you're generally more isolated, you know, you live alone um, and you do a lot of your work in front of the computer, right? Like, yeah. um, and then and that's very separated from, you know, these specific acts of, you know, social interactions that you have with others in social settings and, and that. And then now you don't really, you don't have that choice, right? Um, and it's all through this one mean. And it, it really, I think, intensifies um, this isolation and the, the negative side of isolation. Um, and I think that that's where it, it's made it acutely, it's made that this um, sense of isolation more um, acute for all of us, right? So I'll give you an example. It's a really interesting example um, that, you know, a friend of mine on Facebook posted in which her son's soccer team, so, you know, the kids come play together. Mm-hmm. And so I think someone on their soccer team put together this really nice, like, montage video where, you know, they had each of the kids, each of the uh, children in um, on the soccer team sort of kicking the ball, right? So they're, they're yeah. bouncing the ball and then they kick it off screen and then it jumps oh, yes, to yes, another yes. child. I don't know if you've seen yes. that, right? Like, and it goes through the whole, mm-hmm. the whole team. And then I was, I saw, you know, this friend posting it up, sharing it and her other friends like responding and commenting that it made them cry. And they were like, I don't know why it's so it's, you know, it's why is it making me cry? And, you know, so like, I just, you know, commented that, oh I think that it's highlighting, right? Like this, this connectedness, this like real, you know, sort of true social connectedness that um, we are all so missing at this period in time. Like it's just highlighting, putting it in our faces, right? Mm-hmm. In a way that maybe, you know, we weren't like sort of thinking about or maybe we've been sort of subduing because we're so busy now, you know, managing everything else. And so I don't know if that resonates with you at all no, that, you know, you don't have a, a choice now, right? And like seeing all these things on social media just like merely highlights um, our disconnectedness now. Yeah. Yeah. Like which group am I a part of? And I'm I'm also thinking about graduate students who live alone. And so, you know, they are doing, you know, it's a whole different thing. There's a whole population of people that are quarantining alone and this weird feeling of not being alone because I'm more connected than ever. In fact, sometimes I'm too connected. Um, I'm one of those people that hates zoom call after zoom call after zoom call um but just kind of like but what is this thing that i'm starting to feel now that i can't i don't have the words for yet but like i don't know am i lonely i don't think i'm lonely (laughs) um but i'm not connected the same way right Um, i feel this right because before there was always this option to connect in person at least for a subgroup of you know the the people Mm. um yeah that you're with Simon, were you going to say something? 
Oh no, uh, I was just chiming and confirm it. I was also just loved your phrasing, Liz. Single, childless, petless. I think maybe we should do an episode about that. But that's another story. No, that's depressing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, the number of people who have told me that during this time that they went out and got a, adopted a, a dog mm-hmm. has been interesting as well, and I, I think it speaks directly, you know, to the sense of further isolation that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, the thing I did recognize was that my sense of schedule is off. And so, um, and I I had some, another colleague who will remain nameless um, was kind of saying that like, she felt like she had less point purpose in life because when everyone was struggling and they're, everyone's struggling where they're like, but I have to do this for my kids or I have to do this for my husband or insert whatever. And so when you wake up alone, you're like, do I have to get up at seven? Like I normally do. (laughs) Technically I do not. Do I have to put on clothes? Do I have to change? No one's going to know. And then the other side, like, Oh God, what if I get sick and I can't, no one's going to know that I'm sick. No one's going to tell me, I think you should go to the doctor. And I think, so all those things that kind of, maybe we're at the surface or we're below and we're kind of fine because you were out and you were kind of coping, kind of, you have time to deal with your thoughts. You have time to kind of question, how did I end up in a pandemic alone? Mm. Or like, again, that sense of schedule that I think some people um, may not realize that having other people around you makes you have to have schedule um, and a purpose that you don't have to not, I'm not saying you don't have to, but it's a different it's another way of putting schedule in your life to have to do things for other people that is absent when you don't have um, someone there to recognize when you're not doing things that you probably would have done before. Mm -hmm. And I think we probably under or downplay or undervalue these moments where we do have um, face-to-face interactions with other people in our daily lives. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And, and for some people, you know, we're all from, let's say, a personality you know, sort of perspective have greater or lesser needs for, right, like mm-hmm. social interaction. Some of us are more like loners or, you know, prefer, um, you know, to be al- alone. But regardless of that, there are always, you know, usually in our daily life or for most of us, like these moments where we do connect with people. And so now that whole piece has been removed. And um, I think that, you know, being alone during this period where you don't have those moments to connect across your, your week. Um, even if you don't spend a whole lot of time, you know, with people, um, you know, generally, I think that sort of missing that piece is having, you know, um, an impact on our lives. And again, you know, I, I don't, I don't think we can downplay the impact of just the sense of control. Mm -hmm. Right. I think it's related to the sense of purpose, right? Like Mm -hmm. control and purpose and, um. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm laughing, but it's more of the tragic kind of laugh. We really, yeah, I know. I didn't. I didn't think we were going to be so. <laughs> Did we really go here? Page Diva's podcast has been going strong for five years. We are more excited than ever about the world of podcasting as academics. We want to keep bringing you great content, and to do that, we need your help with the cost of production. That's right, Zine. Through Patreon, you will support our 2020 vision for PhDs podcast. Better features, new equipment, and you'll get exclusive access to original content like the bloopers reel for this ad, by the way, and our reading list and outtake. Propose an episode. Get a special shout out. Yeah, exciting. This is all going to be. 
Help us take the podcast to the next level. Click on the Patreon link to find out the many ways that you can support us. And as always, even if you can't support us financially, you can always help out by following us on Facebook and Twitter under Page Divas Podcast. It helps a lot when you rate us and write a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> so much. Yeah, I I go up and down. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely go up and down. And I think Zion and I have really tried to, um, well, I've certainly tried to reach out more um, just as like checking in and, and kind of doing the doing the things and making sure like, are you okay? What are you doing? Tell me, give me details of the day. Yeah. yeah. Um, At the same time, I sort of freaked out the other day when you asked me like, hey, Zion, how are you? And I was like, are you okay? What's going on? And so like, <laughs> also this sort of thing like that we are ta- uh, like messaging each other even more frequently than usual, because I feel like before, maybe like every several days, like at least once a week, but yeah. now it's like every other day. But at the same time, I've, I'm so primed now for like being worried about things that even though I'm more connected, I'm also even more anxious about it in a way because I don't know, it's almost mm-hmm. like your vig- this feeling that my vigilance will somehow contribute to people being safer. I don't know. And I literally just said, hey, Zine. That is all I said. There was no emoji. <laughs> there was nothing. It was, hey, Zine. And she's like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I was like, it just, I just woke up. <laughs> just said hi. So, so it was, um, you know, this is, this is an interesting time and, um, interesting too, because this is a surprise to me, but all my public health and virologist friends were like, no, this was coming. We knew this was happening and it's going to happen again. And we were like, and I'm like, how did you always know? And they're like, cause we are the experts. And I'm like, well, how come you didn't tell us? Like, cause we've been saying this forever. And so mm-hmm. I've been, you know, the more I've been talking about this and realizing in terms of you know, this pandemic and how disease spreads and how this is also related to global warming, surprise, surprise, Uh um, is, you know, it's very interesting to me and not, and it's academically interesting. Life-wise is a disaster. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? When something's academically interesting, but you have to remember that your whole life is in academia. And so that's not actually interesting is actually terrible or dangerous, but you're like, Oh, let's learn more. I know, I know it's a little perverse right? as <laughs> academics that sometimes mm-hmm. we hone in on what is actually interesting. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, We're terrible yeah, yeah. friends. So it's like when I'm talking to non academics, they just roll their eyes at me and like, oh, Liz, okay, Liz, that's you're weird. <laughs> out, right? <laughs> yeah, like I study cancer and I go, oh my God, that was, wow, cancer is interesting. That is. I'm impressed, you know, you kind of look at this in awe and you see the study and, you're, and then, you know, on the other hand, you're like, no, Liz, that person, that's not good. <laughs> this is a yeah. terrible sign. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually, I heard that also going back to sort of the, the warnings of, you know, a pandemic happening. Yes. Um, I mean, that is something that the the current um, administration is being criticized for as well, mm. right? That there and were, should be. yeah, yes, <laughs> there were, um, I think that, that, they received uh, several sort of debriefings early in la- late last fall, or even before you know things started happening, and apparently they, it was ignored throughout mm-hmm. the process. So even before anything um, came out of, of China, uh, um, in terms of the, the news and what was happening in Wuhan, and then all throughout um, until recently, where there was a, a lot of again this disbelief of science. Right. Yeah, I 
Sorry, this is a side because I know this. And you, you know, they I think in 2018 they fired the pandemic response team, and mm-hmm. and information has been going around. And I think that I hope that that is something that gets recorded later on. Um, I want to respect your time. Um, so you you tell us um, we I think we have enough material to wrap up the podcast. I think we'll just do like a you know tell us where we can find more information about your work and thank you for the interview. Um, but then thank you for the interview. Um, yeah, thank you. so I know that before Zion was actually curious about like cross interdisciplinary because as a, a you know, literary oh. critic, I think she was curious about how you get funding or how you study things like that. So I wanted to give her the opportunity to oh, ask those. Well, I feel things. like, I feel like we already covered it. So okay. that's fine. Okay. I would, yeah. Speaking of that, though, beyond sort of funding, I would, um, love to also publish a piece that combines some of the psychological and historical, um, you know, sort of elements to it to provide, you know, a, a stage. Um, I'm hoping to do that before, even before, you know, so the data, so the data will take a little bit of time mm-hmm. um, for us to, to gather and analyze. I'm hoping to have the first set of, you know, findings come up in um, the summer. Mm-hmm. from our first wave of data um, but even b- before that to almost like preview it but the sort of the, the justification and then sort of the background um, because I think sometimes again again in research articles you know later on when we're talking about data mm-hmm. we don't have space necessarily mm-hmm. right like in a manuscript to be able to, to talk <laughs> about all those other elements but they're mm-hmm. so important in order to under to really understand um, what's happening um, at the, the more sort of micro, you know, level, this, mm-hmm. yeah, larger piece. And, and yeah, and for me, it obviously goes to the 19th century since I'm a 19th century, so this is my bias. Um, so me, I'll get in touch with you. I had an ulterior motive because I know that, you know, I, I have, design is like one of my best friends and she's Asian and she's, she's Chinese Canadian. And so I, I, when she's afraid, I'm afraid. Um, but I also know that she studies, um, and I always get this wrong, but 19th century, you look at history, you look at like race relations and study, mm-hmm. women's studies. And so I thought you guys might actually have some interest that way. Oh, definitely. That would be wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk after after this and see if we can write a piece. Yeah, that'd be awesome. A cross-disciplinary conversation would be fantastic. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to say to you, Carissa, is that I also, so I was interested in applying for NSF Rapid sure. um, for looking at, so I, so I was looking, um, I, I mean, I, I do like immune cell delivery work, um, but I also consider this podcast as being part of my broader impacts and ways to communicate information and to bring scientists closer to the public and things. So I also just hope we can keep in contact. Um, I'm, really interested in ways that I can find to connect my research into other um, other interests, whether it's studying different populations and looking for like why there's differences biologically. Um, like, yeah. So I yeah, think there's I would, a lot of yeah, absolutely. I would, I would love to talk to you more about that. And um, I also came, I think NSF rapid is, would be a good, um, you know, a place to consider depending on, you know, how you're pitching the idea versus NIH. I know NIH also has Mm -hmm. some um, rapid like COVID response mechanisms that have, um, you know, been released. And I also came across this um, 
funding this someone shared this funding source that seems to be more um, you know, I was hoping to, to look into it, but I think it seems to be more either biomedical or technology mm-hmm. in- related. So I'll share that with you as well to see if it might be helpful for you. Yeah, please. Um, it's for, you know, to get money quickly, you know, up to 500,000. Yeah. yeah. Like, to, you know, to be responsive that, that will produce something within the next six months. Um, knowing yeah. that, you know, some of these other federal agencies are looking for more long-term studies or projects. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That's such a challenge. We've been, kicked out of the, we've been kicked out of our labs, although I think if I got funded, I could get into the lab again. But it's it's um, it's a very interesting time, not to mention that I, I've started to hear about abuse of that kind of responsibility, as in yeah. some people are they still want their students to work. They do not accept the idea that they cannot have graduate students working and are trying to force their students to work and have said that they're mandatory even though they're not. And then like, well, since you're man- since I got you on the list, now you should be doing experiments just like normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, and I, I, I do not like that. And that's another story, but yeah, um, that's, yeah, very it's, on a, that. it's scary that that's been happening. Mm-hmm. But um, I can completely see, see that happening. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly in certain fields just because there's a greater reliance of having to be there you know in person in that lab so we've had to move everything online so for the studies that we can't do online so I have a virtual reality um, you know project that looks at eating um, and culture and eating and so Mm -hmm. we had to stop that entirely Um, but then you know, and we this project we designed to be online to begin with, so we were fortunate, but we still had to make a lot of modifications. I had to pay participants um, out of my own personal funds because we right. couldn't get working. You know, we couldn't get checks from even though you know NSF transferred the money, but we couldn't the the you know the personnel at the staff at my university couldn't get into to to initiate some the the checks um, to be sent, and but I didn't want to keep people waiting and so yeah yeah, Yeah. we've all had to yeah (laughs) so that's another area in which the sort of personal (laughs) right (laughs) piece (laughs) bleeds into the work in ways that are probably unhealthy long-term wise (laughs) but i i i definitely understand you and i almost fell for an internet scam because of my likelihood of trying to help a student right like i really was like you need it and I didn't think about it and it was like like fortunately I looked and realized that the email address was not correct right and not an ETU or something and I was like, like oh that. my god this is a scam but then I thought like why was I so willing to do this maybe I have a problem <laughs> <laughs> it's a good problem right I mean, yeah, it's, it's a good person. default yeah. yeah exactly it's a good default person. I don't know, but I just know that it, it's like I, I, I want to help students and I want to give to the students and it's, yeah. And I also have junior faculty worries. You know, this is my first year um, and I know I know what this is going to mean for me in terms of funding and, you know, this is, it's going to be really hard for everybody. And uh, But your institution and, I mean, the field in general needs to absolutely respond to this. Like I've seen also a lot of, you know, sort of discourse about people going out for tenure, you know, like how do we count this year? Um, mm-hmm. 
in you know the whole tenure clock and and how do we you know be kind uh, as a field and you can't do that right so even if individual it's interesting because even if individual departments are more or less understanding and supportive then you have other departments and you know in the university mm-hmm. and then you have the high you know university itself that, that wants to maintain certain sets of standards and how they're going to deal with it um, you know, and then the college before that. And then as an academic field, right? Like if you're getting external letters and, um, you know, we're not all on the same um, page with regard to how we're going to view this, yeah. this period. And the thing is that it's, it's even when the pandemic dies down and, you know, there's a lot of doubt about when that might happen um, related to what we were saying before about the long-term impact, right? So if your research study was shut down for six months, eight months, you know, 12 months, even if you start collecting data, like the, you know, it's like a domino effect, right? So yeah. when, you know, everything, you know, in academia takes a long time, right? And so when, how long is that impact of, you know, lower productivity actually, um, you know, how, how long is that impact going to be for? Right. It's not just this the start and end of the um, pandemic. Yeah, and even ramping up time. So, you know, as a new lab, it's essentially right. like I'm starting all over again from day one because it's not like I had students maybe in year three or four who they they knew exactly what their experiments were and they literally just stopped it and they're going to start it again when they say start. It's, it's like a ramp up. And I think the sell that I think I'm going to try to make to my university, my department, um, which will be hard, is that I don't just need like uh, a delay in the tenure clock in terms of time, but I also need more student startup funds, more protection. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the the odds of me getting a grant, you know, it's already hard when you don't have data. Mm -hmm. So now instead of maybe going the first year with no data um, and then getting data in my second year and being able to compete more, be more competitive for grants because I have some preliminary data to support this, um, I don't have that data and it's going to probably be another year, you know, there's going to be more time before I have that data. So I can't get big ticket grants to, um, I can't get like an R01. I can't get mm-hmm. these bigger ones, which like kind of want you to have, you know, figured Pilot. out everything before you even submit the grant. So I need more student support. Um, and students are like 70, 80 K a year here. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that that's, I need more student years to make up for the fact that I may not be able to support them the way I, you would have expected me to. They want you to be financially solvent basically within three years. Right. And this essentially, if you're going to extend my time, you need to also extend my money, my startup money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true too, also for, for granting agencies, right? And so like, even if you have money and you're supporting a student, the student is not able to mm-hmm. work, you know, produce the work that, you thought that they were going mm-hmm. to during this year. So what happens is you, you not only lose a year, but you lose, okay, not to be, you know, so like, so not, to be cal- sound, not to sound callous about it, but you lose the student powers, you know, person power during this year as well. Um, but then you run out of the money, right? But the money is still being used up because the <laughs> right. student obviously still has to live, right? Mm-hmm. And still has to be paid. And I think that, um, you know, not to, I, I'm saying this not to minimize like your person, but actually to perhaps you could use this as also further. It's not just your problem. I think you have to make it broader. make an argument that it's not your problem. You're not asking for an excuse for yourself, right? Like you're not making excuses just for yourself. Like it is a worldwide issue, and your department and your university needs to 
respond in a way that is equitable for you know like for everyone experiencing this not just again like you know so don't go in with this feeling of oh i need to like apologize and i I need to sort of justify just for myself we're we're in a pandemic people and (laughs) you know and you know it's it's not like you you know had something happen and you like you know fell asleep for like a year and you now you're trying to you know make an excuse for of asking for a reason for 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 kindness that no like but this is also a policy level opportunity right yeah. for, for yeah. scientists to use and for institutions who have built-in policy people they, they have lobbyists in dc you know to say that actually you should actually extend people's grants not just time-wise but also money-wise for another year mm-hmm like whatever you were giving them per year, give them another year of that same level of funding. Yeah. Actually, if you really want to compensate for this, it can't just be about time. You can't give time and not give money. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Absolutely. And, you know, as you said earlier on, this is, you know, so pandemics are rare, thank goodness, but <laughs> they reoccur. You know, they're going to reoccur and yeah. they're going to reoccur at more frequent rates given climate change, um, you know, sort of lifestyle difference given more travel, you know, as we become more connected as a world, which we're just going to expect that this will happen again and more frequently. And how are we going to learn from this tragedy, right? Like how, that's the other thing, like what can we, what good can we create out of this terrible circumstances that we're in? And we have to think, broadly about this right not just about you know personal lives which are obviously you know the most important on an individual basis but also some of these policies that can help us um be more proactive and and be more prepared to minimize the damages of you know the, the the ones that are going to happen in the future well, thank you so much for joining us again. Like this has been such a rich and wonderful conversation and we're also excited about all your other projects you're thinking about. And obviously we all have very deep um, invested intellectual and personal interests in seeing how the study goes. And thank you so much for having me and, you know, having me share some of my ramblings and ideas. A lot of this is, you know, quickly forming as the times change, you know, which is both really terrifying but also you know like wonderful that we we are you know we have this opportunity to be able to do this and hopefully to have an impact in a positive way great so i I hope you have um, a a good rest of your day and stay safe and sane thank you you too